listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. And welcome to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast. I am your host, Rick Franzi, and I am very excited not only to have Mark Barden on the show, we'll talk about him in just a second, but this is our first program where we're doing it as a live stream on LinkedIn. We now have the capability to LinkedIn live and we're using it today. And what a better way to start than with Mark Barden. He is the author of A Beautiful Constraint. You can see the book here. It is an amazing book that was introduced to me by a friend of mine who's out of uh, Virginia. Lee Self told me about this book. And all that we're going through with COVID-19 and all the perceived constraints and changes to our business that we've been asked to adopt to adapt to, when I read Mark's book, I thought, even though it came out in 2015, it is as appropriate and maybe more appropriate for business leaders of companies to read the book and understand the product of their research. So, Mark, welcome to Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast. Thanks for having me. So, let's start at the beginning. What was the inspiration for you and your partner, your writing partner, your co-author, to do the research required to be able to write A Beautiful Constraint? Yeah, so the name of the company is Eat Big Fish, and we're our, our work is to help the little fish eat the big fish. And very often when we're in consulting engagements with the little fish, we find that inevitably they have less of something. So there's a whole bunch of constraints in their world, whether it's be lack of know-how, lack of money, lack of market muscle, etc. And so over the 20 years of running a business, we started to see situations where, in fact, the limitations, the constraints that they were dealing with turned out to be blessings in disguise because they prompted, forced these companies to deal really productively with those constraints and figure out new ways to grow in a way that they wouldn't have come across if they'd had tons of money, tons of time, tons of know-how. And so, you know, it's, it seemed as we were working with our clients to be always slightly random. And we thought, well, surely, you know, our job as a consultancy is to build repeatable process to the extent that that's possible. And right. so we thought about all the work that we'd done over the 20 years of, of working with challenger brands. We looked at 40 academic papers that have been written on the relationship between constraints and creativity. We did 35 uh, interviews with people who'd been able to transform constraints and make them quote unquote beautiful. Uh, and then we did 75, looked at 75 case studies outside of our own work. And from all of those different things, we were able to basically create a process. It's not a foolproof process by any means, but we were able to see repeatable patterns. And so we built some tools, laid down some process, and now we use that as the basis of our engagements. So the audience, this is awesome. I'm so glad to have you on the show. I uh, Every chance I get, I, I share the message of the book, and I'm hoping to do that here today, and we're off to a strong start. So I believe the, the audience that listens to my show tend to be CEOs and business owners across North America, maybe around the world now. We've been on the air for 12 years. But it really starts, from my view, in your book, about the mindset of the leader of the organization. And I wonder if you could talk briefly, Mark, about the, the different types of mindsets that you observed in your research. Yeah. Well, I mean, so this this may ring true for lots of people, myself included, and we're all going through a COVID moment of 
oh my goodness, how do we possibly rise to this occasion? So the first thing that we need to talk about uh, as we try to figure out how to make our constraints beautiful is the mindset that we have when those constraints enter from stage left into our lives. And, you know, it's, it's understandable for human beings to go, oh, well, now we're hosed. <laughs> that happened. What am I going to do? And we call this the victim mentality, right, which is immediately start to go down to poor me, poor me. We're just going to have to reduce our ambitions, et cetera. And I just, you know, that's a very human reaction. Frankly, I had it when COVID happened and our business, which is showing up in person, doing workshop engagements, suddenly looked really um, like it was a difficult, difficult place to be. So acknowledge that if you get in the, into that victim mindset, that's an understandable place to be. But very quickly, you have to start raising yourself out of that. And one of the ways we do that, um, one, of the, one of the ideas in the book is we are the stories we tell ourselves. So start telling yourself stories, either from your own personal biography or times in your own um, professional life, maybe the business prior to you getting there, where this has happened before and it's turned out to be the impetus for change. And to start telling yourself that story, we are the kinds of people who can raise ourselves up and deal productively, constructively with this constraint and try and find the opportunities that are lurking in it. So mindset at the very outset is really important. Yes. And uh, you talk about the three types. Of, and so I encourage people that as yes, leaders of organizations, I'm a part of an organization by the name of Renaissance Executive Forums. It's a global CEO peer group learning community. And I've been sharing the concepts with the other uh, people that do what I do, the business partners around the world, because I believe this is applicable in any market, in any country, for any size company. And it starts with the leader's view. And I think you articulated that very well. And also one of the major ideas that I, big ideas I took out of your book is the importance of the leader being able to ask propelling questions. You talk about the design team for Audi with the 24 hours of Le Mans, which I think is a very powerful example of how asking propelling questions can reframe the thinking of your employees. Could you share a little bit about that concept with my audience? Yeah. So the propelling question says, okay, so you have this constraint. One way to figure out how to make that constraint productive and find the beauty in that constraint is to couple it to an even bigger ambition, which sounds counterintuitive. Right. But if you, if you just accept the victim mindset, you'll lower your ambitions. If you move to the, tra the, the, the neutralizer mindset, you will kind of accept that there might be some kludgy work around. But if you go full-on challenger, transformer mindset, you say, how is this constraint able to uh, couple it to a bigger ambition and lead to even in more growth for us. So the Audi story you referenced is Audi is a prestige automobile around the world, not doing so well in, in the US uh, about 10 years ago. And they recognized that in order to put themselves on the map, they needed to win a prestige auto race, the 24-hour Le Mans. But, you know, they're competing with Ferraris and Mercedes-Benz. So what are the odds that their engine is going to be any better than those guys, not much. I mean, as much as their effort and energy as they put into engineering, that they're not going to uh, necessarily have a, have a better engine. And so the propelling question that the head of engineering asked of Audi was, how can we win the race when our cars can go no faster than anybody else's? So big ambition, win the race at all costs, constraint when our cars are no faster. How can that be done? It turns out the answer is, you come off the track less. So pit stops 
And the ability to take less pit stops is critical to winning Le Mans. So Audi used its diesel technology, more fuel efficient, less pit stops, no amount of faster engine from Ferrari or Mercedes-Benz or whoever could make up the difference that Audi picked up by making less pit stops. So they would not have had that idea and if they had a superior engine. So it was just a great piece of example, really, of how a constraint can appear like it's going to be the thing that holds you back, but actually forced Audi and its engineering team to look for solutions outside of the normal solution field. Right, because I could see how normally you'd be looking at incremental improvements in design of the car, in aerodynamics, and maybe material properties. But when you take all that off the table, then you're, the opportunity is to think differently. You know, And sometimes that's why these fresh ideas and breakthroughs come from people who know maybe less about your industry than you do because they ask questions that you've forgotten to ask or you don't even see anymore. So I think the propelling question is a way for a leader of an organization to inspire his his or her people to think differently because that's how we're going to win the war by being different. And I don't mean to be aggressive with the term war. I mean, battle of, you know, competition of brands, et cetera. So that is really a key point. Mindset, asking a propelling question, but that also leads to a culture of what I thought in your book, which you talked about, which is we can if kind of questions. And so yeah. maybe you could help the audience to understand what your research found in that area as well. Yeah, building a can of culture. So we we got that from an interview that we conducted with a guy called Colin Kelly, who runs the largest uh, bakery in, in the UK and Europe. Um, and, you know, they're constantly dealing with constraints in the production line. Things were breaking, yada, yada, yada. And he said he would ban his people from beginning any sentence, when he proposed them uh, a, a propelling question to them, said, you're not allowed to start any sentence with, we can't because. <laughs> it necessarily leads you nowhere. Yeah, you're defeated before you start. Yeah, so let's begin the conversation with we can if. Um, and so not only does that put sort of the oxygen of optimism and positivity into the room, but it actually makes you try to find answers to, well, we can if, you know, in the case of Audi, it's we can if we use diesel. You know, it's just a really critical part of the methodology is to adopt can if thinking. So I'm going to tell you a story, actually, if, if I may, about this is this is fresh. This is COVID. Um, so our business is constantly not just in researching the book, but constantly looking for stories of people who've been able to ask propelling questions and, and develop some kind of thinking around it. And there's a, um, so imagine, put yourself in, 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 in this situation. You're running a high-end artisanal donut company in London. You've got 21 shop fronts. Things are going pretty well. COVID happens. You gotta close the shops. Your business disappears overnight unless you adopt a transformer mindset and say, well, where is the opportunity in this for us? And this is a story about um, the donut company is called Crosstown. You can look it up in, in London, 21 locations, all closed. They had a small, about 20% of their business was online. And they said, we've got to quickly pivot, right, to the can if solution. So if the CEO is now asking a question of how can we maintain the sales from 21 stores when the stores have to be closed the whole time? That's the propelling question. Big ambition, constraint. The can if thinking is we can if we go online. But nobody's going to be calling to order donuts at the frequency that they need. So he goes out and he creates partnerships with, let me just see if I can list off the, the companies here. So he goes out and does a deal with 
the Estate Dairy, Miller's Bespoke Bakery, St. John's Wines, Caravan Coffee Roasters, and they build a food box business where people are signing up to do, to get to receive, you know, this portfolio of cool artisanal London-based. And now they've got a big online business that now that things are starting to open up over there, they'll have the 21 doors are open again, but now they've got a big business. So that willingness to have a can-if mentality, how can we, well, we can if we partner with four or five other artisanal businesses to build a food box delivery business. Boom, big business. And they've, you know, saved themselves. And that sounds like a revenue stream that will maintain itself even when the stores are back open and they have foot traffic because they've created, they've attracted actually a different uh, buyer in some ways who's looking for more than just donuts for an event or something. So that's awesome, Mark. That's yeah, that's right. And, and, and he has said, you know, would we have adopted this business model without COVID? Right. Probably not. Is it the future of our business? Absolutely. Right. So again, that's, I got goosebumps. You can't see it. Maybe you can high def camera. I'm not sure, but these types of stories inspire me, which is why I'm so pleased and honored that you're here on the show today to to share it with my audience because i think we can all use a little can of thinking right now well the, the thing i want to the, the point i was going to make now about what worked there that again the listeners can kind of be thinking about their own situation because i bet a lot of us are going through covid trauma in our businesses is rather than obsess about what you now have less of is to think about all the things that you have lots of that you aren't able to see. So in the case of the the, the food delivery, he, you know, he recognized right around him were a bunch of entrepreneurs just like him with the same set of problems. If you could bring them together, you can make something bigger and better happen. So there's a story I learned recently from one of our own staff who's on a conference call with an Indian company. They're doing some work in India and who's saying the body shop in India Again, it's a COVID story. They're looking at this, uh, their business kind of disappearing. People can't come into the stores. They didn't have a very well-developed online business at that point. And rather than just lay off all the staff that worked retail, they said, guys, we've got to pivot. We're going to put the business online. Is there anybody in our workforce that has uh, translation skills, that has photography skills, that has Photoshop skills? All the things that they needed to build build the online business at speed. And within a week, they'd um, identified enough resource amongst their current staff that they hadn't been thinking about at all as, as appropriate to use in their business to get that their business back up online at scale. And, you know, it's a phenomenal success story. It's a beautiful constraint because now they see their talent in very different ways. And those people have different kinds of careers with the body shop going forward if they choose, if they want them. So phenomenal success story. And there are many, many. Right. And, just, and that's, a, that's a perfect example of one other element in the book, which is to realize you have more resources at your disposal. You're resource rich because going along with seeing constraint is you got, oh, I, I don't have any way to around this. But if you look differently and create resources by what you just, the example you just gave, that's a perfect way to look at an abundance mindset rather than a scarcity mindset which yes. really is important yeah i mean and it's a um it's a it's a creative act in the same way that figuring out what the can if solutions are and in the book you know we took we started to see when when you look at so many cases you start to see the same kind of can if solutions coming up time and time again so in the book there's what we call the can if map 
that once you've got your propelling question figured out, you put it in the middle of that CANIF map, and there's a, a number of prompts, essentially. We can if we think of it as. We can if we substitute X for Y. We can if we resource it in different ways. So there's a, there's a number of CANIF prompts to get you started with a CANIF conversation, which will be productive and it'll take you somewhere new for sure every time. Not all of them work out for, you know, it's not simple. You have to keep going, keep going, persist. But, a, but another key element is mapping and figuring out you may not have something, but somebody else who's just in your peripheral vision has it. And that's a creative act. And you can sit down with your staff and say, who has what we need? Well, they do. What is it that we have that they're going to want? And this is, you know, this is the mutually beneficial hustle of 21st century capitalism, right? It's what Silicon Valley startups do. Well, I've got this capability in my stuff. Can I trade that for a little bit of that from that startup? Yeah, we can. And these little ecosystems are built around Silicon Valley of people being able to trade for mutual benefit. And I think, you know, if COVID, COVID has robbed you of something, then it's incumbent upon you to have a creative conversation with your staff about, well, what do we have a lot of that we can go and trade and get what we need to build it? And that's, that's this notion of creating abundance. There's always way more resource out there than you need if you're just really clever at spotting it. Right. And, that, and that's another key point that I'm glad you brought up. It is the role of the leader during the CANIF planning and work, because there will be a lot of dead ends, as you just said. And what I took away from your book was the role that the leader needs to play during that phase is kind of a cheerleader, an encourager that, you know, I realized that didn't work, but look at the other folks that are coming out of this. What else can we think about? It's okay that that didn't work. We just, we just finished off that Avenue. Let's go in a different direction, ladies and gentlemen. So that's yeah. a really important role. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a key, a key idea in the book is, is, what does the beautiful constraint methodology require of leaders? And it, it, it requires of them to believe that it's possible to right. take regular people, give them the right tools and say, let us go and create something new together that we weren't thinking about before. And just the very act of belief in your own people and their capabilities is a very strong signal to send. And it elevates the conversation right away because people are like, okay, well, uh, I didn't think that was possible. I don't think this is possible. But, and, you know, a key trick here is, and one of, this is one of the best parts of the work that we get to do now, is beginning by saying to people, okay, look, we all know that if life gives you lemons, make lemonade. That's essentially what the book is about. It's a recipe for lemonade making. So go back through your own story your personal, and tell me a story about how something really bad happened to you and it turned out to be a blessing in disguise. And I should say, I don't want to make light of the fact that right. very often there's very real issues and COVID is creating chaos out there. And if anybody's sitting there going, it's really easy for you to say that, Mark, but it's not been my experience right now. I accept, I accept that not every problem can, not every constraint can be, can be a beautiful constraint. But when you ask people, they'll tell you about yeah, you know, I was training for a marathon and I started to get really bad runner's knee and I thought I was going to have to quit. And then my physiotherapist said, exercise in the pool. And I loved exercising in the pool. It made me such a stronger athlete and I was able to finish the race in record time. And on and on and on. Everybody's got a personal anecdote in their biography that they can tell you about when the constraint was beautiful. And so a great way to start a conversation and a process 
with your business, with your organization. It's just telling each other those kinds of stories. And the belief comes from that because you know you've done it before. You're inspired by other people's stories. And now you're ready to go. You have the energy and the enthusiasm and momentum to carry you through the business problem. Right. And that's that's the other aspect of this. We only have uh, like a, a minute or so left here on the program today. But um, it is that this type of culture breeds on itself and you build the confidence that we overcame that one such that you talk about in the book that some leaders begin to introduce constraints into their process just to have people overcome them to build this muscle memory of, well, remember that time we did that and we thought it was impossible and and then they end up being able to believe they yeah. can do anything. In fact, I believe that two of, two of the most successful companies on planet Earth today, Nike and Ikea, for very different reasons, and I, won't, I don't think I have time to tell the stories of how they got here, but they are both cultures that seek constraint because they know that when they find them, they are going to be the impetus for innovation that they need to keep driving business growth and keep evolving their businesses. So wow. you'll have to read that. Yeah, and I, I strongly suggest reading A Beautiful Constraint, How to Transform Your Limitations into Advantages and Why It's Everyone's Business by Adam Morgan and Mark Barden. Mark, uh, last thing, what else do you do other than you mentioned Eat Big Fish, but what else do you do beyond writing these amazing books that people can learn from? Well, you know, we're, we're consultants, right? So in fact, if you, I mean, obviously pick up the book and look at that, but every week on our website, eatbigfish.com, is the, the name of the business. The Challenger Project is the ongoing study of situations and cases like the ones we've been talking about on this call. Every week, we're finding new ones and publishing them on our website. And I would love it if people would reach out to me, Mark, M-A-R-K, at eatbigfish.com, and tell me a story of their own triumph and their own uh, situation of making a constraint beautiful. And if it's um, good and rich and you'd be up for it, we'll publish it on our website. We'll keep telling the world more of these stories because we are the stories we tell ourselves. I want to thank you so much for your generous giving of your time today, the wonderful way you delivered the content of the book, the hours that you and Adam must have put into background and getting this book ready to be published, and the fact that it's so much more, I think it's almost more valuable today given COVID-19 than maybe when it came out in 2015. So thanks for being a friend of the program and a part of the Renaissance Executive Forum's Critical Mass community, Mark. You're welcome, Rick. Thanks for having me.